welcome to the podcast. Now, first things first, don't touch that mouse. You're in the right place for the Trustees and Presidents podcast, so you were expecting to hear the voice of my good friend, Karen Weaver. Karen stepped away from the microphone for a little while, but she'll be back soon. My name is Scott Flanagan. I'm a former classmate of Karen's with experience as a coach, an athletic director, and administrator with oversight for athletics. A recovering college president, I'm now a senior consultant with Academic Search, the nation's leading higher education search firm, and I'm a principal with Flanagan Consulting Solutions, where I help colleges and universities with talent development, strategy, and governance. I'm so honored that Karen asked me to pinch hit for her today. And I'm thrilled to be joined today by my good friend, David Armstrong. David's a president at St. Thomas University in Miami Shores, Florida. David's a former football coach, a diehard Browns fan, an attorney, and a passionate advocate for students, particularly those from underrepresented backgrounds. David and I first met through our board work with the National Association of Independent Colleges and Universities. We didn't always see eye to eye, but we always had constructive conversation and almost always found common ground to advance our shared commitment to the public purpose of private higher education. I'm sure this is gonna be a terrific and enlightening conversation and I'm thrilled to be able to welcome David to the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, David. Scott, it's so wonderful that you're having me on and uh, hello to everyone out there in podcast land. Uh, and I just want everybody to know that I look just like Brad Pitt. That is that is well played. Um, <laughs> though, though you and I are on video, of course, the audience will have no way of doing that, but perhaps they can go to the St. Thomas website and, and validate that or not. Well, since you told them that, then I'll tell them that I'm a Husky Brad Pitt. There you go. Yeah, so, you know, I, you and I have known each other for quite a few years since actually your, your, your time at, at Thomas More been about two years since you've been uh, at St. Thomas. And during that time, you've accomplished a bunch, right? You started construction on a Gus Machado College of Business. You've launched the Institute for Ethical Leadership, Institute for Interfaith Leadership, most recently a Center for Pandemic, Disaster, and Quarantine Research. And in the midst of all that, uh, also spearheaded getting started with football and with marching band. So I'm curious in particular, um, why athletics and some of those extracurriculars are, you, are so important uh, to you and to, to the students at, at St. Thomas? Well, that's a great question, Scott. And honestly, you and I, we kind of came up through what I call educational athletics. You know, we got into uh, uh, collegiate administration through athletics because we feel that's such a big part of the educational process and then taking on leadership roles and then working our ways up to being a president. For me, athletics actually comes obviously to my family, my upbringing background in Cleveland, Ohio. I was raised in a family of seven. I was the fifth boy of five boys, and I had two younger sisters. So I always say that um, I was the middle child, not by number, but by circumstance, because my brothers could beat the heck out of me. I couldn't touch my sisters. Uh, but growing up in that family, you know, you weren't a part of my family until my dad took you to a Cleveland Browns game. He had season tickets for 60 years before he passed away. And, you know, usually around eight or nine years old, when he took you to your first game, and you walked through the alleys of downtown Cleveland in the 60s and 70s. You know, and that's when you were a part of the family, when you made it to the Browns game. And so uh, I had older brothers. I wanted to be like them. We all went to the same high school. Um, you know, it was all about sports growing up. And so that was the whole formation is that, you know, yes, my parents had great stress on academics and, and sacrificed so much to send 
their seven children through four, seven of us through Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, four of us through Catholic college, two of us have earned, earned advanced degrees. Uh, but sports was a big part of that. And so I actually got my law degree. After I got my law degree, I chucked, I had three legal offers and chucked them and went back to my alma mater, Mercyhurst near EPA to coach college football for nothing. I was a volunteer coach. I could still hear my mom screaming at me today. But uh, I had such a great time in law school coaching high school ball. I just felt I was having an impact. I thought rather than putting people in jail, I was a prosecutor for a while while I was in law school. I was having more of an impact as a coach. And so I just thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a run and see if I can achieve my dreams as a coach. And I was able to become a head college coach. But in that process, really found my true passion, which is education. And so that's what has led me to this position today. And so I tell people all the time, the skill sets that I use as a president are not necessarily the skill sets I learned as a vice president and a general counsel and all the, I was able to say at my first college interview for a presidency that I had worked in or supervised every single aspect of college campus from maintenance all the way up to faculty and everything. And, uh, but the skill sets I used every single, I use every single day as a leader, as a president are the skill sets I learned on the football field, hard work, discipline, a positive attitude, teamwork, colorblindness. And we talk about all the issues today, colorblindness, all those things I learned on the football field that we use every day. And so um, that's why it's so important to me. I just believe it's a big part of any transformational formative process. Character formation happens in, in, in you know, I always say 70% of what happens in college happens outside of the classroom. And athletics was a big part of that. We'll come back to athletics in, in just a moment. Talk to me about your, your plan for really relaunching the, the academic year. I mean, what, what is the plan for uh, academic engagement, for co-curriculars, residence life? What, what does that look like on, on your campus as you get ready for the fall term? Sure, love to get in that. I, I feel like I was remiss. I didn't answer fully your question. As far as growing enrollment, uh, that's kind of, I, I'm a turnaround guy when it comes to colleges and universities. And I learned from some great people at Mercyhurst, uh, where I went to school and then worked first. And I learned that in order to grow enrollment at a uh, college or university, it's programs, raw recruiting, and financial aid leveraging. Programs are academic, co-curricular, and extracurricular. The fastest way to grow is through extracurricular activities. And so that's where athletics comes in as a president, as an enrollment driver. And so that's, you know, in order to set enrollment growth and records, uh, athletics is a great way to do that. And at St. Thomas University, we actually had the Dolphins practicing here. Uh, and Don Shula helped start the first ever, one of the first ever sports administration programs in the country in 1973 here at St. Thomas University. And so we have a bachelor's, a master's, and a doctorate in that program. And so athletics is a big part of the DNA here at St. Thomas University. As far as uh, opening and relaunching the year, um, you know, again, that's a great thing about being a, a head coach or an assistant coach is logistics. And so what do we need to do to start the new year? Well, obviously this whole COVID thing changed everything. And so uh, when you talk about, you know, uh, what are the, some of the principles that we use to inform that? Number one is understand what our core mission is. It's education. Number two, what's best for the students? They always have to be at the top of the, the food chain. Number three, and this is unique for this time, I don't want to be, I don't want to make my decisions based on panic, the political, and timid. And that's my concern is that a lot of decisions are being made by panic, political, and being timid. Um, and so, but we knew we want to keep people safe. 
And what we want to do is give the most maximum flexibility in our educational process. So we developed a thing called Bobcat Go, where a student can go anywhere in person, in the classroom, uh, at home, in the residence hall, or in Spain to get their education. So we're going to have max flexibility for our faculty and for our students. And so that has been a wonderful thing. And I'm so impressed with our, our academic administration and our faculty for doing that. You know, I learned from great mentors who taught me never waste a crisis. And you've heard people now say that during the pandemic. There's always opportunities. On March 16th, 50% of my faculty, even though it was mandatory, used Canvas, our, our learning management system. Well, guess what? On March 17th, when we went fully online, 100% of my faculty were now using Canvas. That made us better. So they can do different delivery modalities of education. So we're better because of this pandemic. And we're going to continue to strive to get better. Now, part of that learning experience, as I understand it, is that you still plan to move ahead with, with fall sports um, as planned. Is that, is that still the plan? It is, and, and in the last 24 hours, that's been challenged. Um, and so as people are pushing everything off, um, I will say that uh, number one is I believe that co-curriculars and extracurriculars are a crucial part of the educational process. And I believe that the majority of the character formation that takes place in college takes place in the co-curriculars and extracurriculars activities where students have to work hard and show up on time and do all those things outside of their academics. And so we believe it's a crucial part of the education of mind, body, and spirit. So that's number one. Number two is we are going to, again, not make decisions based on panic political and being timid. We're gonna look at the science. We're gonna to talk to our team doctors. We're gonna, we're gonna research. But in the end, and this is very important, and again, again, with the Big Ten canceling and all these things, we're gonna listen to our students. I think that the students have been the lost part of this whole process, is no one's talking to them. Do they wanna play? And do they wanna participate? So we have 350 student athletes for the fall, 350. We offered student athletes, if they wanted to opt out, that they still would get their financial aid as they would if they played or not. We've had five students opt out out of 350. They want to play. And so I believe that we need to do the hard work necessary to give them, and this is the key point, the opportunities. We're in education to give educational opportunities. I believe great educational opportunities happen on the field and on the court. And so we're going to work our butts off to make sure that those students get those opportunities. How do you go about addressing that uh, in, in the context of safety? And that was one of the pieces that you talked about early on. Um, you know, if, if you took a, if, if we took polls of, of students, you know, the general education curriculum on our campus might look a lot different, right? I mean, there are lots of behaviors that students might like to engage in, but that as educators, we might say, yes, I know you might want to do this, but here's a more prudent course of action. Talk to me about how you are helping to ensure as best you can um, a safe uh, environment, both in the classroom and 
in the in, in the competitive arenas that, that may be happening this fall? So um, first thing is, and, and you know me, Scott, and you're very similar, is I, I am a very direct person. And so the first thing I'm telling everyone is there are risks, okay? Living, life, there are risks in life. And I don't know when the standard of care in this country changed to uh, that we will never die and we will never be injured and that we will be hermetically sealed in a bubble ordering Grubhub and sitting on our couches, getting paid and watching Netflix. So I disagree with that lifestyle and I disagree that that should be our norm. So we are very upfront with the fact that there are going to be risks involved. Now, our job is to minimize those risks as best we can and understand we have young people. So we talk to the team doctors, we look at the statistics and we believe that we can as safe as possible, we're not guaranteeing safety, we can't do that, okay? But as safe as possible, can we move forward to give our students opportunities? So what are we doing? Obviously, following CDC guidelines, masks. Uh, you know, we, we actually, our football players have returned today. And I was so proud as I'm walking out to go to the restroom, the kids are coming up for some meetings and, and they're all separated, we're not doing big meetings, they all have their masks on. So we did a survey of our students before they came back. And we asked, what's your biggest concern? Okay, 70% of our students said that their biggest concern was that other students wouldn't follow the rules. And here's what we've told them all. 99% of you said that you are wearing masks and doing social distancing. So your number one worry at 70% was, are my fellow students doing this? And 99% of them said that they are doing them. So that's good, but we are gonna impose curfews, we're gonna have all the sanitizer all around, we're sanitizing classrooms, uh, face shields for faculty. We're gonna have, uh, again, virtual or hybrid, whatever's comfortable for the student. And so we're gonna take all the steps that we can necessary to do what we can to be as safe as possible. And, but here's the thing I'm telling people, there is a risk for allowing demonstrations for eight straight weeks in our country. I knew that we were gonna have a surge. There's a risk when you open the economy. Okay, there's gonna be a, a surge when you open the economy. I'm, I told my faculty today, I had a meeting with faculty today, we will see cases, but then how we react to them and what we do is what's gonna to happen to keep ourselves safe and moving forward. Worst case scenario, I tell everyone is, we can move to the spring. That's the worst case scenario. We can pivot and we're gonna have max flexibility. But the reason why we are holding strong in the Sun Conference and why we're holding strong at St. Thomas University is as a former coach and athletic director, I totally believe this move to have three seasons play in one season is completely illogical for COVID protocols. So I'm gonna take 350 athletes in the fall, 200 athletes in the winter, 250 athletes in the spring, and I'm gonna put them all in one season on a smaller campus. I mean, we actually have a lot of land here. Okay, so we, we have a, a better situation than most. But at the, even at the Division One with the great facilities, that's ridiculous. Why do we all think that in the spring it's going to be any different, number one? I don't think it will be. And why do we think that taking three seasons of student-athletes into one season is going to be healthy when we know it's about social distancing and masking and all those things? So as a former coach, I happen to have a, a, a courtside seat, if you will, of what it looks like when you try to put that many people together in a, an athletic season. And so we are moving forward as best we can. So part of it from what I hear you describing is you think there are some benefits 
in addition to the educational benefits you talked earlier, the safety potentially that that uh, it it could be safer um, to spread out participation rather than having so many student athletes in a finite number of spaces at a certain period of time. Common sense. Less numbers means a better situation. Uh, you know, I mean, to me, it's just clear uh, as someone who's been involved in athletics for a long time that, that that's just a, that's just a no brainer. So uh, that's that's what I, I mean. It's not what I believe or anything. It's what I've lived. You and I have lived that. We know what it's like. Are, are there any conditions? So certainly there are elements that are outside your control, right? I mean, if the if the federal government or the state government or county, uh, your conference, NAI, I mean, right? Those are those are all things that you can't control. Are there are there any things that are uh, or, or any concerns or, or are there any circumstances that you could envision that would um, make you he more hesitant about moving forward within fall. And I'm not talking about somebody else canceling your season, right? You don't have a decision then. But are there any things that you could look at and say, well, you know, I'm keeping a close eye on X, Y, and Z. And if these things start to break, then my thinking may change. So obviously, again, in the last 24 hours, this whole idea that uh, a, a person who gets COVID will have lung issues, okay, which then would lead to heart issues. And so that's, that's, my understanding is why the Big Ten has decided to suspend the spring. My contention is, how's that going to change by the spring? I don't think it's going to change by the spring. So we're adding EKGs to anyone that's ever had COVID or tested positive. That will be a part of the process now, is that our students will get an EKG and they can't return unless they have that. And we're kind of seeing, we kind of believe that if a student does get COVID at some point, you know, they're probably not going to return to the season. We're okay with that, okay? Um, I think the biggest issue that we're going to monitor is our numbers, and if it gets to a certain point where it's untenable, then we will stop and either move to the spring or stop, okay? But I, here's, here's what I believe. I believe the COVID's not going away, and I believe that we need to learn to live with it. And so if we end up being, you know, one of the few conferences that are going forward, I'm hoping that we will learn a lot. And again, our Center for Pandemic and Disaster and Quarantine Research will be look, monitoring this, our, some of our faculty and our athletic trainers. And our team doctors are also the team doctors. Baptist Health is our partner uh, here down in South Florida. And they are the team doctors for uh, Dolphins and the Miami Heat. And they are on it with us. And they are looking forward to us moving forward to see what we can do better and learn from all this for everyone else. We want to be able to say, hey, these are good protocols and this worked and this didn't work and, and, and move forward. Talk about the roles that different folks have played on your campus. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, uh, as a president, you're, you're responsible. And yet, I'm sure that there's been a role for your senior administrators, for your athletic director, perhaps for your board. I'm just curious about the roles that, that, that others have played in this ongoing process, because I know it's not a, a, a one point in time decision. Yeah, that's a, a good question. So right away, we decided to create a coronavirus team and we met daily, you know, starting in March when, when things were starting to get hairy. And we did that for probably two or three months. We had to kick up the coronavirus team again, and we're doing it twice a week, three weeks ago when we saw the surge come up. And so um, we have our senior cabinet level, maintenance, housekeeping, uh, operations, residence life, student life, athletics. So people that are dealing with students every day. And we are constantly looking at data, 
looking at research, looking at new articles to help guide us through our decisions. We're using our, our conference for sure has used athletic trainers. Our athletic trainers have been wonderful in this process. We're using Baptist Health and our team doctors and the experts at Baptist Health. And so um, we're trying to bring in as much information as we can, sift through it so that we're making the best decisions. Um, I, I believe this, Scott, is that, you know, before we sent our students home, so we, we were not gonna close our residence halls. We were gonna keep them open for the students that need it. And then what happened on March uh, 25th, we sent everybody home because we were concerned that South Florida needed a place to house first responders. So we were gonna be that one of those places. We, they ended up not needing us, okay. Before we did that, we did not have one COVID case in our students and, our, and faculty and staff. They, we got COVID cases once everybody went home. I truly believe in my heart that our students are safer here on campus with testing, with temperature checks, with our, our applications uh, um, on screening, our screening apps, our, our contract tra tracing, with our Baptist Health Clinic here. I truly believe that our students are safer on campus because we can monitor them and we're gonna have curfews. We've never had curfews before, we're gonna have curfews. And so, and we're not letting students go off campus once they're on. And so I believe that they have a better chance of staying as safe as possible on our campus with our protocols. To, to what extent have your trustees engaged in these conversations, whether as advisory or in helping you as a soundboard or to the, to, or perhaps on to the other extent, the extent to which they may perhaps were decisions that you brought to them or that they felt was in their purview to make it. Talk to me a little bit about, about the role of trustees. And yeah, it's, I'm sure it's a little bit unique that uh, as a college president, I'm also a lawyer and I was a general counsel. And so I can kind of, you know, um, anticipate concerns on liabilities and things like that. So, so I, I kind of give that stuff first, because that's obviously what trustees are looking for as their fiduciary duty. Okay, what are our legal liabilities? What are, what are, what are the risks here and what are the risks? So I actually lead with that. And so uh, that's number one. Number two is it's constant communication. So every, we make a lot of videos here. Uh, I've done videos to our parents. I've done videos to our students. I've done uh, videos for our community. And so our trustees are constantly getting that. We have a COVID button on our website. We constantly update that information. Uh, we have a, a compliance person here, Matthew Roach, who was actually a former student of mine in pre-law at Notre Dame College in Cleveland. Uh, worked for me as an intern at Thomas Moore and is now our compliance person here. He and our President's Cabinet put together a wonderful COVID manual. It's on our website. And so the trustees are constantly, I don't wanna say bombarded, but continuously given information so that they know we're on top of this thing. And, and, and again, I keep on telling them, there's still risks, we know that, and we're gonna do the best that we can. I, I, I do wanna say this is that uh, as a lawyer, I always, I, I came up with this saying at one point in time when I worked with a mentor of mine who was actually always very nervous about getting sued. And, and it, to be honest, it led to some bad decisions by us because he was always worried, well, what if they sue us? Finally, I said to him, I said, you know what? Anyone can sue us at any time for anything, anywhere. You have to accept that, okay? But in the end, another legal uh, general counsel mentor of mine, Chuck Carletta, who I met at the Stetson Law Institute, which I'm on the advisory board there, he always said, every time he spoke, and it was wonderful, he said, you have to listen to the lawyers and you gotta let that guide you. But in the end, 
The lawyers don't make the decision. You as the president or the administrator have to do what's best for the institution. And that institution umbrella includes your community, your students, faculty, staff, all those people. And so sometimes the best decision for the institution may not be the best decision that a lawyer wants you to do, okay? But it is the best thing for your institution. So that has guided me my whole life as an administrator is that, hey, we're gonna make the best decision for the institution, which includes all the community that we have there. Do you, do you see this as one of those situations where there is a little bit of a conflict between sort of the liability side and what's in the best interest of the institution and its students? Or do you not see those in this uh, situation as uh, in as much conflict as some might think? Well, you know, it's funny. I'm sure my uh, president's cabinet and sometimes my trustees are, they get frustrated with me sometimes because I tell them, all right, I'm going to put my GC hat on. I'm going to put my general counsel hat on and I'm going to give you this. Now I'm going to put my president's hat on. I'm going to give you this. Now I'm going to put my uh, uh, administrator who is trying to push for student opportunities. And so I'm constantly putting myself in the position of what are the risks? What are the liabilities? What are the legal issues? You know, when I was a GC, I used to tell my president, I say, listen, anytime something happens, I'm going to tell you the worst case scenario. We're all going to get fired. We're going to get arrested. We're going to end up in jail and, and, and the school's going to close. That's the worst case scenario. Okay. Best case scenario is, is we handle this thing and it turns out to be a positive for us and we end up being recognized nationally as the best in this field. Usually none of those extremes are going to happen. Our job is to get it as close as possible to that positive side. Okay. So once you tell everyone this is the worst case scenario, at least people know it, they've heard it, they can picture it. And then you work your way back. And so I'm always trying to do that with my trustees, with my team, with my staff. And then we work very hard to make sure that we end up on the positive side as, as we're going about our business. You referred, and, and of course this will uh, hit, hit the, the, the podcast will hit a few days from now, but right, this is the day when the Big Ten has announced that they're uh, moving fall sports potentially to, to spring. Uh, there's an expectation of an announcement from the PAC-12 uh, at some point today. Um, so you talked about the people that you've engaged to help make decisions and that your conference is engaged. So to the extent to which you're making a different, your, your league or your institution making different decisions, sort of as I think about it, right? It could be because you have different information. It could be because you're in a different situation could be because you have a different level of risk tolerance. Talk to me about, as you observe what's happening on the national landscape, the extent to which you think, you know, one of those three or maybe uh, something completely different might explain the different kinds of behavior that individuals and institutions and conferences are moving forward with. Well, I told you before the podcast, Scott, if we can get controversial here, but uh, here goes. Um, I had a great CFO teach me one time that, you know, Dave, if you want the answer to anything, follow the money. And uh, what no one's talking about here, and it was kind of in the MAC article when the Mid-American Conference uh, uh, canceled uh, the other day, it was kind of in there. What people aren't talking about, and you and I are in athletics, so we know this, is that March Madness did not occur. So that means the share of money that goes to Division II in the NCAA didn't go there. The share of money that goes to Division III didn't go there. So if you think that people are making, if the total decision is totally about safety, which I disagree, especially if you're moving into the spring, because I think it's more unsafe in the spring, 
based on protocols. People are making decisions based on money because we know that it's a challenge during the pandemic. We know some people are struggling with enrollment and those kind of things. We are not. We're going to have another record year of enrollment. Uh, so people are making decisions. Money's a big part of it. The max. So here's the example. Kent State lost $5 million when the big power five schools did not want to play out of conference. That's how they pay for their season. That's how they make it possible, the smaller division ones. And so people, it's easy to say, you know what, I'm not going to play football because that's the most expensive sport and it's the most travel and all that kind of stuff. That's going to make someone's bottom line look really good. That doesn't motivate me as a president. What motivates me is the opportunities for my student athletes who want to play. You see the, the tweets out there and all that stuff in social media. Parents of Ohio State Buckeyes, the players, the coaches, they all want to play. Why aren't they being listened to? We know that there's risks, but they're signing up for those risks. You know, CTE. Okay, I'm a football guy. I played football, was a coach. I'm not a CTE denier. Okay, I'm not a climate change denier. Okay, but it's a risk. But I also think that it's a risk worth taking from all the value I learned and got out of football. So sitting on the couch in a bubble, to me, does not hold value compared to the risk, overcoming the risk. The, the, the outcomes are better for me, and I'm willing to challenge those risks, okay? And so uh, money is a big part of why people, in my opinion, are canceling. I think the political is a big part of this, okay? What I'm trying to help guide me is our students first, safety second, and doing, again, moving forward and showing our students that we're not going to be timid and that we're going to do the things that we need to do. And again, a lot more work doing it this way. It's easy for us to cancel and say, oh, we'll push it off. No, we're, we're working our butts off to make sure those students have those opportunities. You mentioned earlier you've had only a handful of students thus far opt out. Um, what other kind of feedback are you getting from parents, from student athletes, from members of the community um, about, uh, about your decision so far? You know, I was driving off campus yesterday and uh, some of our great uh, police officers from Miami Gardens were uh, relaxing on our campus and uh, I love when they come on our campus we give them free lunch and free dinner um, and they said hey I, we're seeing students I go yeah because we're opening and we're moving forward with athletics they were like jumping out of the car man they were so happy they were so proud that we were moving forward and giving our students opportunities I'll give you an example I'm not going to use their name but uh, we have one of our um, student athletes on the football team's dad is a medical doctor here in South Florida and he said listen he goes, I'm a medical doctor. I know what the real numbers are, okay, of COVID cases. And he said, I could not be more proud of the choice my son made to go to St. Thomas University because he wants to play football. He should play football. It's good for him. Are there risks? Yes, but I'm so happy he's here. Obviously, that made me feel good as an administrator that a parent who's an MD is happy that his son here is here and getting the opportunity to follow his passion while getting his excellent education. Well, I know with you, it always starts with students, so it's appropriate perhaps that we end on that story about a student and, and their family uh, supporting uh, their decision. Um, this has been a terrific conversation, and I think it's been, it's certainly been thought-provoking for me, and I suspect for our audience as we consider, um, again, like we talked about earlier, not only the the different information and, and what's happening in different circumstances, but different risk tolerances and how institutions and, and conferences are navigating things going forward. So David, I, I'm really grateful. I know you're 
insanely busy. I'm grateful for your time, your willingness to share uh, your perspectives uh, with our listening audience. And, and I trust that, that they've enjoyed and, and learned something through the conversation as well. I, I really hope that they did. And uh, I, God bless everyone. Uh, I, I support everyone in the decisions that they need to make for their institutions. Uh, and uh, to me, it, I know it's a great day when I get to talk to Scott Flanagan. So God bless everybody and go Bobcats. That is a mic drop moment right there, my friend. Thank you very much.